I will be playing my college football at the University of Drops to the 50, now steps behind the 50, runs to the right side of the 45, Wisconsin to the 40, throws it long down the field toward the end zone, Devin Smith, touchdown! Devin Smith, he's got it for a touchdown in the middle of the end. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Welcome in, Josh. Welcome back in. A lot has happened since we last chatted on Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, last Wednesday. Um, Conference Championship Week has come and gone and gave us some some great games, and the committee uh, announced their final decision on who gets into the playoff, the big dance, and everyone's talking about it, and I'm just going to say it. Florida State got absolutely screwed. Surprise, surprise. The committee seemed to make it about themselves again. It, it's just insane for me. You know, I, I I, just can't understand how a 13-0 undefeated Florida State team is left out. And there's a chance that at the end of the season, they're the only undefeated remaining team. And they might be the AP poll number one. It's such an insane, insane situation that they've been put in. And yeah, I mean, to, to state it plainly, I think you said it. The committee just got it, got it completely wrong. You know, I was chatting to you about this. One of the reasons that football and college football especially is just so the the regular season itself is so important is because it's such a small sample size. You know, we don't play that many games, we play a very limited amount of games, which means every single game matters. And to some extent, it absolutely does because a one win a one lost team, two lost team absolutely destroys your season. But then how does an undefeated team not get in? An undefeated power five team not get in if you're you're ba- the committee's basically telling us the regular season games don't matter and they can just make the decision at the end regardless because FSU kept winning and didn't get in. But then their justification for Liberty getting in to the to the New Year's Six Bowl is they just kept winning. I just can't make sense of it. And we'll get into the whole Liberty G5 discussion later because I think that is slightly different but using the same principles it is um there's no logic there's no sound reason behind any of this yeah how we got here um you know michigan they won on saturday beat iowa they're number one clear cut washington they won on friday game i was an intense four we'll get into this we'll dive deeper in these games just a little bit but number two i think you can make an argument that maybe washington could be one over mission because of the quality of their wins versus Michigan, but I think one and two, they got it right. Number three, Texas. And again, no argument for me on this one. Texas has looked like the one of the best teams in the last month. They survived against Kansas State, survived against TCU, sure. They had that one close loss to Oklahoma, but they blew out Oklahoma State. They did it with style, they did it with grace. Number three, no argument here. And for number four, they put in Alabama. And Alabama coming off the heels of beating the number one Georgia. And it's not right because the committee's argument for Florida State being left out is because Jordan Travis got hurt, they are a different team. And they don't deserve to be in over Alabama. What that's telling everybody is, one, the regular season doesn't matter because you can play... 11 straight games, 11 and a half straight games. But if one player goes down, sorry, your season's done. It's also telling us that other teams are graded differently. Alabama was awful the first four weeks of the season. Pretty much the first half of the season. 
Alabama was awful the final week where they had to squeak by Auburn on a prayer in Jordan Hare, throwing a 50-50 ball to the corner of the end zone that you know Auburn didn't know how to defend. But somehow, they are more deserving because they are, quote-unquote, the better team. Which I, f- I actually do disagree with that argument of they are the better team because you don't know unless you play them. You put Florida State's defense up against Alabama, I think Florida State's defense has a chance to shut them down. You know, Jalen Milrow is the worst quarterback in the playoff in a long, long time. You know, if you put Tate Rotomaker in, yeah, sure, he's probably going to be worse. But Milrow's not much better. And it essentially what it tells us all is the SEC is above everybody else, and, you know, the Big Ten's probably not far behind them, but if you're in the ACC, if you're in the Big 12, if you're in Notre Dame, if you're in the group of five, sorry, because there's nothing you could do. It's just what the networks are going to want to see matchup-wise. Yeah, and, you know, look, I get the SEC's been dominant for years, but they ain't this year. It's a very, very... The ACC had a winning record against the SEC this year. This year, it's just not the SEC's year. It really isn't. There's just so much better football being played outside of it. And, you know, you said how good that FSU defense has been. They're the first defense to hold a Jeff Brom offense under 200 yards in five years. Like... This is a very, very legit defense. There's guys all over that defense that have had a, they they shut pretty much shut down LSU. I think they're the best offense in the country points wise. Like they held them to twenty four and and you know not that many yards. Yeah, it's just it just seems like an absolute farce. It does seem like they grade teams differently. It feels like the conferences is, is uh, are completely graded differently. And I was chatting to you about this earlier, but it, is this now the end of the ACC? Why would any team want to stay in it? Why would yeah. any team want to stay it, in it if they can go undefeated, look really, really good? And be left out of a bowl game because of a selection of the, by the shadow committee. I just don't understand. It's yeah, it's just an absolute. Seems like an absolute farce. And I mean, you. Saw, I don't know if you saw the video of the Michigan players' reaction to when they saw FSU, but there was uh, when they didn't see FSU. But there was like a collective gasp when Alabama came on that four spot. And I don't think they wanted to play Alabama. I think they wanted to play FSU. I think that was the game they wanted. And yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a really, really tough one, and the only people that are getting punished are the FSU players who literally couldn't do anything more. They could not do anything no. more. They won everything. They won pretty much everything, pretty handedly as well. And I saw another argument that was around uh, during that game. One of the articles I read earlier, during that game, the committee were very. That, that was when they started to make the decision. It was during the FSU game when FSU was struggling to get a first down. The quarterback in the first half, the third string quarterback was struggling. But the third string quarterback wouldn't be playing in this game. Roadmaker's out for a for a concussion, so he would be back by then. They, they almost played him in this game absurdly, but he would be back by the time they play. So if their argument is that the third string is not looking good, well, he wouldn't even be there. There just doesn't seem to be any logic behind this decision. It just seems to be like a. It almost seems to be like a predetermined one. It's either Georgia or Alabama. One of the SS, SEC teams get in. We can't leave them out. And I think. That's exactly it. It was going to be a predetermined scenario because if Georgia won, then you'd have Georgia one, Michigan two, Washington three, and probably Texas at four, and everyone would be hating Texas. Mm-hmm. I I think Florida State just had no ever since Travis went down. It's, it's committee just said, all right, nope, he they're not in, they're done, and it's not like a third-string quarterback hasn't won the damn championship before. Literally the first year, Cardell Jones wins the championship for them. He beats Wisconsin. He beats Alabama. Beats Oregon. They're in. It's... 
and the the committee's criteria has evolved every year. You know, that first year, TCU Baylor get left out because they didn't have a conference championship, and Ohio State got in. Sure, twenty fifteen, you know, Iowa, Stanford, Ohio State, they get left out because you know they lost their big games. Completely fair. Twenty sixteen, Penn State, Michigan get left out. Sure, yeah, okay, that makes sense. These are better teams. They were better than Washington in 2016. They were better than, you know, Michigan State in 2015. In 2017, you had a Alabama team get in that didn't even play in their conference championship game. Like, it's maddening. And, you know, then you had UCF get left out because they were a group of five team. But then Cincinnati got to be in. It's, the committee has no rhyme or reason. And it's shitty for all the Florida State players because they won the Big Al Conference game. They took care of business against their conference. They beat ranked teams in their conference. Then they're faced with adversity. They lose their starting quarterback. And do they squeak by Florida? Yeah, but that's a rival. And Alabama squeaked by Auburn. So Auburn and Florida, to me, are on the same level. And then in a pouring rainstorm, they beat a very good Louisville team. And they do it by defense. And they do it by running the ball. Something that Florida State's gotten a lot better at in the last couple of weeks is running the ball. They're a full-dimensional team. And but because Alabama has that big old A next to that SEC, they're in. It's so fucking dumb. One of the funniest things about all of this as well is, yes, Alabama beat Georgia, but I still would be pretty hard-pressed to say Alabama's a better team than this Georgia team. <laughs> like, And if we're going off the best four, like... What's their selection criteria? Because Georgia should surely be in there, right? It's just, yeah, it's it, it just makes no sense to me. And I can't, the one thing that's really, really sticking with me is the regular season games have to matter. They just have to. Otherwise, why are we playing them? Exactly. Why, why are you playing them? And Florida State, they start, they, in the first poll, they were three. Or three or they four? They were four, excuse me. Then they went up to three. Then they dropped out of it. And what I don't understand, this final ranking, Alabama 4, Florida State 5, Georgia 6. So the committee is telling us that Alabama is better than Florida State, but Florida State's better than Georgia? <laughs> that, that, that makes no sense. I don't even and know if you're going to put in the... And why was Florida State ranked ahead of Alabama last week if they were just going to drop out completely? Why didn't you have Oregon or... Yeah, why don't you have Oregon at the four if you're just going to drop Florida State out? Like, Especially when they both win, right? have... If FSU are ranked yeah. above above them, above Alabama, and then both teams win, surely they both move up. Alabama go to five, FSU go to four. Yeah. And and that's kind of how it ends. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. just insane. It's just absolutely insane. And, you know, we spoke about this uh, We spoke about this a bit in the week as well. Is you know, even without the quarterback, there's stars all over this FSU team, and they still are a damn good team. And with the second-string quarterback in there, they'd beat anyone in this Final Four. They'd beat absolutely anyone in this Final Four. Yeah, I just... It's hard to not feel absolutely shafted, and I'd feel very, very cheated by the committee. And it would make me very, very hard-pressed to want to go out and play again next year, go out and coach again next year, because I'd just be looking at it and going, hey, look, what a great group of guys, but what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Every team, especially in the Power Five, their goal is to win a championship. Every January, February, when those winter practices start, it's a new group. Your goal is to win a championship, and you grind for an entire year. Then you get the spring ball, then you get the summer ball, and you were just gassed up, ready to go. And you go undefeated 
These guys have been working their ass off for the last four years to go undefeated. They went from shitty Willie Taggart era, losing to FCS teams on Hail Marys, getting humiliated to finally being undefeated. First time in 10 years for Florida State. And just because your quarterback got hurt, they're not allowed in. Which, again, what Jordan Travis said, I wish I broke my leg earlier. That's fucking awful. Yeah, it's crazy. That a quarterback saying, I wish I broke my leg earlier so that they could see that this is a complete team. Yeah, it's not just the quarterback that's, that's the difference here. There's some serious dudes across that yeah. offense and across that defense. Yeah, it's yeah, there, it's crazy. There's first-round talent across the board. It's so sad. And I've now heard the point of, like, our coach is going to start withholding injury reports. Our players going to come back when they're not healthy so that they can give their team a chance to win a championship. Are you going to have a scenario where, you know, a guy gets a concussion week 12, and comes back for the conference championship game. Are you going to have guys rush back from ACL injuries? Guys rush back from back injuries. It well, what what happens if dangerous. what happens if they say, you know, what what do the committee say right now? If the FSU injury report instead of the broken leg was no structural damage, not as bad as it looked, or, or it looked worse than it was, potentially back for playoffs. Do they get in? Yeah, uh, yeah. I may, maybe they do. If they if they said initially, you know. No structural damage, questionable. Maybe, maybe he's in, and then they dress him up every week, but they don't play him, and they dress. Maybe they're in, which is it's insane. Awful. Which is absolutely insane to even be having the conversation. Do we lie about a player's injury status to be able to get into a game when we're an undefeated Power Five team, and they might be the only undefeated team when this is all said and done? If Texas somehow go through and win it, you know, they, and, and win it with. With the one or loss. If Alabama goes, if through, Alabama and goes through and wins it, then the team that isn't in the college football playoffs is probably going to be number one in the AP poll. And I've seen a lot of the guys who vote in that poll saying, I'd be inclined to vote that way if that's how it all, you know, if, if FSU come out and beat Georgia, that's how the voting will go. FSU will be the number one team in the AP poll and they won't have been in the playoffs. To claim a national championship, you just need to be, I think, ranked one in one of the, like, 15 voting systems. There's a lot of voting systems out there, Josh. Only three are really recognized. But UCF has a national championship claim for 2017 because they finished undefeated or left out of the playoff. They were ranked in one of the 15 voting systems. So they say, hey, we're national champions. If I'm Florida State, I don't play in the bowl game. I say, no, we're not going to play. And we're just going to claim ourselves national champions. Alabama's claimed national championships where they have 30 losses. They finished third in the SEC, but they still claim championships. And we can go on and on about this, but I do want to say it sucks because this is going to take away from what's going to be a very, very good playoff where you have four great teams going against each other. But because... Florida State's robbed. Everyone's going to be like, okay, it's not doesn't really matter. You know why? Why are we doing this if it's not going to matter? Yeah, and you know, before we before we jump off on this one as well, I do want to say it's not Bama's fault either. You know, Bama kind of no. did, did what they had to do, and this is maybe one of Nick Saban's best coaching games ever. This was such a superb turnaround, and we'll get to the game when we speak about it. But yeah, it's just a uh, the committee were given a tough task this year, and. They just completely shat the bed still. Like, it, not everyone was going to be happy regardless of which way they went, but there was a very clear way that it feels like they should have gone and a way that 
the majority of college fans feel like they should have gone. And yeah, they just seem to. I don't even really know what the reasoning was, and I don't think we'll ever really find out what the reasoning was. You know, is it just that uh, we want all eyes on it? Do we want the contro- Do we want the controversy in the last year of the fourteen playoff? Can we get rid of the SEC from the last four fourteen playoff? I don't know what the reasoning was, but it very much feels like they cheated one of the, if not the best team, out of the playoffs right now. It's a, it's a really really tough look for for college football. In my opinion, their reasoning is network views and money like that's simple as put that's why because outside of last year the semifinal games have sucked you know there's been maybe four out of the last shoot i don't know have we had 12 of these 16 of these good semifinal games you know the first ohio state alabama that was a good game then we had some a lot of blowouts a lot a lot of blowouts then last year we had two great semifinal games. I don't think anybody wants to see a blowout because on a neutral field, I'm sure Michigan would be a touchdown plus favorite against Florida State. But Florida State still deserves the opportunity to play that game. To prove. Because everyone thought, oh, Michigan will blow out TCU and TCU won. Now did TCU get blown out by Georgia? Yeah, sure. But everyone's going to get blown out by Georgia except Ohio State somehow. Yeah, it's... It's tough, and it's frustrating. And we'll see what happens with this new precedent set, because in the last couple of times that the committee set a new precedent where they let in teams that don't even play in their conference championship, let alone win them, uh, it's kind of affected the whole landscape. And now that we move to 12 teams, will an ACC team get a top four seed and get a bye? Will... Big 12 teams, ACC teams get home field advantage in those quarterfinal games? Will they get left out for SEC or Big 10 teams? What's going to happen to, you know, Oregon State and Washington State when they win their conference, the Pac-2 slash Mountain West, but they'll probably gonna get left out because the committee just wants to do what it wants to do. It's unfortunate and with all the realignment talks and all this tv contract talks and now this it's really feels sad for the game that we love here's an interesting thought that i was reading online the other day and i'll pose this question to you because i haven't asked you this one yet does cfb need a commissioner someone that can bring some sort of sense some sort of balance to this madness Yes, but it won't happen because the NCA is an unregulated body. Yeah, yeah, it like, doesn't feel like it'll happen. It feels like it'd be a tough thing to happen, but it feels almost like the thing that they need. Some level of guidance, some level of something to try and steady the ship because it's just it's just absolute carnage and it has been. And we'll see kind of what this, what this expanded playoff looks like next year. But, you know, the committee literally may have just written the ACC into history. Like, why would you want to be in it anymore? Yeah. If you if you can go undefeated, be one of the best teams in football, and then not make the playoffs, why would Clemson? Why would any of these teams want to remain in it? Well, Clemson, Florida State, and Miami and North Carolina do are they've already been trying to leave the the ACC. You look back to August. Were, Florida State was looking at private equity firms to buy them out of the ACC and maybe go independent, maybe join the SEC. This is just accelerating the process and. I won't be shocked if there are calls made today and tomorrow and Wednesday of like, 
how fast can we get out? Because the ACC is going to add SMU, Cal, and Stanford. That's not going to do anything for the conference. Like, people are still going to look down on it, which is a shame because it's a good conference. It's got a lot of history. But because they don't have that SEC or Big Ten in it, it just doesn't matter It's punished. It's unfairly yeah. punished. But we could rant on this all day. This could be an hour podcast. We're just on the range show. Should we get into the games? As reluctantly, yeah, let's do it. And let's start on Friday. Number five, Oregon. Number three, Washington. Matching up. Rematching up. This time in Las Vegas. And... Again, it was a three-point victory for the Huskies. They won 34-31 over my beloved Ducks in what my opinion was the best game played because you just had two teams going all at it and really a slugfest of a conference championship game. Washington came out early, punched Oregon in the mouth, and jumped out to a 20-3 lead. Oregon went three and out, back-to-back drives. Couldn't run the ball. Couldn't throw the ball. And then right before the end of half, Bonix throws an incredible ball and a great catch by Terrence Ferguson. Cuts it to 10-20 at half. And then Oregon comes out firing. They score two quick ones. They jump out to a 24-20 lead. And then Washington answers. 27-24. And then Washington gets a stop. Kick a field goal. Or gets another touchdown, excuse me. Jay to jump out to a two-score lead. 34 24 with like five minutes left. Looks bleak for the Ducks. They rip off a one play touchdown to Trayshawn Holden. They're right back in it. Uh, and then Washington goes on probably the most impressive drive they've had the entire season. On, I think it was, uh, let's see here. Would have been a. F- first, it was a 12 play, 66 minute drive. Oregon answers. And then they go on a seven play, minute 30 drive where they salt the game away and they come out victorious again and Kalen DeBoer makes it three straight over Dan Lanning and the biggest thing for me in this game was how ridiculously well the Washington O-line played they turned up from the first snap all the way through the last snap and they were moving this Oregon front seven off the ball I haven't seen this Oregon team get pushed around like that all season and man that Washington team came out there was points in the first half of this game where the running back was going for four yards untouched the whole line was just getting shifted. The the Washington O line just absolutely dominated this game and were was such a big reason as to why they why they managed to come out on top of this one. The defense also played really well. I thought they limited the Oregon run game pretty well. Uh, Oregon couldn't really get too much going on the ground. They didn't run the ball too much sort of attempts wise, but couldn't really get anything going on the ground when they did try and run it. Um, but yeah, it was the the big one for me was the Washington O line. I mean. You know, Washington have been pretty good this year and, and uh, been very, very good at times. They've been struggling for a couple of weeks, but I haven't seen the O-line play like that. That left tackle was going to be in the NFL. I can't remember his name off the top of Man, he had an incredible game. Yeah, just a, a very, very good performance from, from the Washington offense. And they're hopefully starting to get hot at the right time because they've got a couple, couple potential big games coming up. Yeah, a Washington team that everyone counted out. They were nine and a half point underdogs after already beating Oregon. And they kind of limped into this game and Oregon was firing and Washington definitely took that personal. And we said in our preview show, the way Washington wins this game is one, you know, Michael Penix has a fantastic game, which he did. And also Washington runs the ball like they did in that first matchup. And they just beat the hell out of Oregon's line. Dylan Johnson 
you know, USC stat-wise, that was his best game, but this was his best game, and he should have won the MVP for this game. It went to Michael Penix, who very, very much deserving, but... It was Dylan Johnson. Dylan Johnson. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And a couple of things that stood out to me in this game, if things I can remember, <laughs> um, was one, Washington was able to keep drives going, and they did that by attacking Oregon's middle. They ran a lot of crossing routes to Roma Dunze and the McMillan brother, not brothers, but the McMillans, the Polks. Um, they just attacked the zones. Oregon's linebackers couldn't drop in coverage enough. They attacked the edges. They ran a lot of sweeps, a lot of little touch passes. Oregon didn't have the speed to get out there, and Washington's tackles could get out there and seal the edge. That There was a big third in... I think it's third and nine, third and ten, where if Oregon gets a stop, you know, they get a ball back with a chance to either tie or win the game. And Johnson just goes untouched for like 14 yards, and that salts the game away. Um, There's also another play earlier in that drive, is again third down, and with pressure in his face, Penex throws an absolute dart on a out route. I think it was to Jalen McMillan, or maybe it was Jalen Polk. Uh, yeah, it's the best offensive performance I've seen by Washington they had one turnover and or I guess count two turnovers one the interception by Penix another fourth down uh, turnover on downs yeah that offense played pretty much mistake free football and beat Oregon at their own game yeah, and, and you said it, their ability to continue drives was key in this one. You know, they went 10 for 15 on third down versus Oregon's 3 for 10, which is quite a you know 66% to 30% conversion on third down. Just a, a really dominant performance on offense, and the defense played really well. You know, they managed to they managed to limit Oregon, and yeah, just a, you said it, the best performance that Washington have probably had all season. Really, really good performance, and... Really good to see them sort of bounce back from a couple of t- like tougher weeks as well. It's sometimes hard to do, especially going into a big game. And you said it, Oregon were firing. Washington weren't firing going into this one. And I think Washington played like Oregon and Oregon played like Washington. It was kind of like a bit of a role reversal. And yeah, shout out Washington. It was a great game. And maybe there's a slight tweak in the Heisman. We'll, we'll get to that later. But it's a yeah really fun yeah. game and probably the best game of the week. And then over on the defensive side, they did a great job at stopping Oregon's run. Bucky Irving held to a career low 20 yards rushing. Jordan James held very low. I think, well, he did get the rushing touchdown, but held to like less than 30 or 40 yards. He, yeah, 35 yards. Bo Nix was the leading rusher with 69 yards. Uh, nice. <laughs> he also just looked uncomfortable in the pocket. Washington wasn't able to sack him, but they forced pressure, forced him to get rid of it. Bonix threw some questionable passes as well. He wasn't really on target. I think he came out a little rattled. First pass hits the referee right in the dome. <laughs> Troy Franklin was a non-factor in this game. Only four catches, 34 yards. It really was, you know, Tez Johnson's show. He stepped up big. Uh, Terrence Ferguson, the tight end, stepped up big. Just Oren came out a little too flat. Couldn't get rhythm going. And then when they did find their rhythm, they couldn't get it back in the second half. And the Pac-12 gave us a nice little parting gift on this one with, you know, I didn't watch the TV broadcast, so hard to say, but there were some questionable calls in this game from my opinion, my biased opinion. Um, some no calls on one holding. <laughs> I've never seen a team get less holding calls in Washington's offensive line. Um, a very weird fumble that 
looked to be Oregon's ball, but upon further review, is Penix's hand was moving forward, but the ball still went lateral. So I don't know how that's not a fumble because it's behind the line of scrimmage. Um, the interception by Bo Nix where the Washington defender is out of bounds, catches it, but doesn't reestablish himself. I guess only offensive players have to reestablish themselves uh, once they're out of bounds. Yeah, it was just like a kind of a weird, weirdly officiated game. And even on Oregon's side, Oregon was getting away with some pick plays. They were getting away with a couple holds on the outside. On their defenders, they were jamming Roma Dunze just a little bit and didn't really help that much. Um, yeah, it was a tough loss for Oregon. Uh, Dan Lanning has yet to beat Kalen DeBoer in Washington. All three of the losses coming by less than three points, which is tough because that comes down to just key moments. And I thought Oregon did a good job in this game at winning some of those key moments, but just not enough. Pac-12 refs doing Pac-12 things in the final Pac-12 game is the best way for that conference to be sent off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, if I'm an Oregon fan or just Oregon player, I would not blame this loss on the refs. They didn't get hosed. They didn't, like, there wasn't a big controversial call. It was just like, yeah, some calls that probably could have went either way on both, which you can save out pretty much any game. Um, but yeah, I was sad. I was down horrendous. Um... I think that's all I can say about that. Game. And then there was terrible news in the in the final four rankings, and you've been hot for about four days now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Um, move. We're gonna move on from this one because I again I can spend an hour on this one. Uh, first game on Saturday was Texas took taking on Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve Championship, and from the first drive, no doubt Texas was gonna win. And they were going to do it with style points. This was the Quinn Ewers show. The guy had about 350 mm-hmm. yards before the half. Uh, broke the record for for um, pass yards in the in the Big 12 Championship game. Finished with 452 and four touchdowns. The one pick. It was just total destruction from Texas. The defense limited anything Ohio State tried. Oregon State tried to do. Um, Oklahoma State, sorry, tried to do. Um, they shut down the run. Ollie Gordon went for 34 yards. They really managed to to limit anything they tried to get going on the ground. Forced, forced Oklahoma State to go through the air. Alan Bowman actually had an okay game, 22 or 38 for 250 and three scores, but just nowhere near enough to actually rally them in, in the drives where it mattered, you know, kind of managed to put up the three scores. But in order to beat this team, he'd have needed to throw five, six because they weren't able to run against them at all and they were never going to throw for that on them, not on this Texas defense. This is a really, really strong looking team. I have absolutely no issue with them being the number three. They may even be the number two. They are a very, very strong team and they're going to be a, a real force to, to reckon with in these playoffs. And it's actually, we can get into the, you know, the previews probably in a month or a couple of weeks uh, that they draw Washington because I think this is going to be a great, great matchup that both these teams both can win in a shootout. But I think what Washington's defense did on Friday showed that their defense can win them a game, which is not something I thought I could say about that Washington defense, especially earlier on in the season. Um, yeah, that interior line of Texas is just disgusting. Tavondre Sweat, like that guy mauled all. He got touchdown as well, Gordon, <laughs> which I love, and he hit the Heisman pose. Like I'm all, I love a fat man touchdown. He absolutely deserves it. He's going to be an, he's a awesome. guy playing on Sundays. Awesome. Yeah, um, Ollie Gordon held to. 
I think that's a season low, 34 yards. He was frustrated all game that couldn't get anything going. And, you know, I don't think people really gave Oklahoma State a chance because there was no way that this Oklahoma team was built to go against this Texas team. Didn't have the DBs to cover um, Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. Didn't have the linebackers to stop that run game. And despite losing their best running back, they still rushed for almost 200 yards as a team. Like, that's a dominant performance by Texas. And going into this game, I thought Texas was going to have to, you know, win with style points to show that they can be that 4-3 seed. And they won with style points, and they certainly showed it. Yeah. Yeah, the receivers are so, so good. Xavier Worthy is clearly healthy. Uh, Adonai Mitchell's just fantastic. And Jatavion Sanders came in with a good game as well. This is a really, really dangerous team. They had, what's this, one, two, three. They had five receivers average more than 12 yards a catch. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. That's absolutely insane. And yeah, outside of that one interception, like Quinn Ewers is perfect in this game. Yeah. Yeah, he had a great game. This was the Quinn Ewers show and... It's good to see good to see him starting to put some really good performances in because they're about to play their toughest game of the season. And yeah, as you said, it's going to be a fantastic matchup. It is fitting that teams like Washington and Texas who are leaving their conferences are able to come out victorious. I think that's kind of a sick joke and the theme of college football, like, oh yeah, they're leaving for a reason and they're leaving on top. It's almost picture perfect picturesque that you know these teams are leaving for the big 10 sec respectively and you have florida state who's staying and the teams that are leaving get to go to the playoff the teams that staying didn't it's it's sick but (laughs) yeah moving on now um unless you have any more thoughts about oklahoma state josh they didn't really they tried but i think it's more just because they got outclassed more than anything yeah, um, yeah. They, they, they really had no shot at this one. Um, the game of Saturday and probably the game of the weekend, some was Alabama Georgia SEC championship and Alabama they upset Georgia twenty seven twenty four. And what a great game this was! What a great game this was! And I think this is one of Saban's mentioned it earlier, I think this might be one of Saban's best coaching games. He had a great post-game press conference where it really starts to take you through kind of what they what they did on defense, especially. I don't know if you've seen any of this, Ty. But he was talking around how the the run game basically was just slicing him on the first drive. And they was playing three high, rushing three. And from that point, he just said, well, it can't get any worse. Let's send four and just play, you know, split field, middle of the field open, too high. And then they just managed to really, really limit anything Georgia threw at them. They managed to get pressure home. They managed to to limit them in the run game. I thought the offense played, you know, weren't perfect, but they managed to really fight and get it done when they needed to. Milrow was okay. He only completed the 13 passes, but again, managed to get it done when he needed to. His legs were pretty key in this one, picking up some key first downs. Isaiah Bond is a fantastic, fantastic wide receiver. I'm very excited to see see what happens with him. But yeah, just not the, not the result... I think most were expecting. I was really expecting Georgia to to play a strong one here and Alabama managed to adjust defensively. And, you know, I kind of want to say the coaches won this one. It really feels like Saban won this one and and, and the Alabama coaching staff just out-coached Georgia in this one. Carson Beck had a decent stat line, but pretty, like, stats kind of lied a little bit, kind of struggled in this one, wasn't able to to move the chains when he needed to. They threw the ball around to a lot of guys, but 
you know, Brock Bowers was their leading receiver with 53 yards and no scores. Didn't get a score through the air, had to get it all on the ground. Just a, yeah, just a, an uncharacteristic game by Georgia. And, you know, I guess for them, the regular season kind of does matter because they've been left out. But the regular season doesn't matter for other teams. It's a, uh, yeah, it's uh, a, yeah. this was a fun game. This was a fun game. And shout out Saban because this is a, an awesome coaching matchup. Yeah, starting off this game, it looked like it was going in the direction that everyone thought. You can hear a very loud motorcycle outside my, outside my apartment. I am back in New York. Um, Alabama, quick three and out. Georgia drives length of the field very quickly and out to an early 7 nothing. Again, force a three and out. Georgia's offense gets off the field, and Alabama's able to string together a field goal. You're like, all right, 7-3. Let's see what happens. And then Milrow comes out on a very nice drive, and... They run the ball really effectively. They score go up 10-3. Or, excuse me, 10-7. Georgia gets the ball back. Miss a very, very tough field goal, which would have made it 10-10. And then, before the end of the half, Alabama's faced with a fourth down decision. It's like fourth and nine on the, like, 38, 39, where it's going to be like, it's too far for a field goal, but too much time to give it back to Georgia. They bring the offense out, but they run the clock down, and you're like, all right, they're just going to punt it. But the offense stayed on the field, and Alabama went for it. And it was a very good throw on a deep out to Bond. Did the ball come out at the end? Maybe. Uh, But that kept the drive alive. And with, like, you know, I think it was maybe two minutes, minute 30, Alabama was able to score. And then they take that that 17-7 lead at half, and you're like, oh, Alabama's legit, and they came to play. And just more miscues by Georgia in the second half. They missed another field goal. They had that awful, awful fumble deep in their own territory, which really, you're like, oh, oh, it's not good for Georgia. Where um, Beck tried to do a little um, end around, just completely dropped the ball. Alabama was a short field. They punch it in on a, with a field goal. And you're like, okay, Georgia's not coming back from this one. They get another late touchdown, but too little too late. Uh, Bowers was definitely not 100% healthy. He was still a leading receiver, but did not look healthy. He was not running at full speed. He wasn't blocking all that well. He was slow to get up every time he hit the deck as well. Yeah, and I think that did help Bama because you were able to drop that extra guy into the box because you know that their top two targets aren't fully healthy and you have the athletes to take them one-on-one where most teams had to double up on Bowers but when I see he's probably like 70% in this game and they were saying on the broadcast you know Uh, are you in a better position if you put your second third fourth stringers out there that are 100% healthy or are you better off playing your first stringer who's 70% I think Brock Bowers um, (laughs) he's a special case (laughs) yeah he's a rare he's a rare case Um, yeah but I think that fumble was really the the twists and the dagger for Georgia and you know Carson Beck's played very well all season but he doesn't really have that it factor as a quarterback to like go down and win them a game no no not at all not at all not at least at this point in his career and maybe he'll get there but yeah this was a an uncharacteristic one from from Georgia and, and scrappy at times especially you know 
losing that fumble was a was a real tough one. I want to take a minute to to just talk about Alabama though, and, and just talk about the insane turnaround this team's made. You know, the first kind of half of this season, they were averaging four sacks allowed per game. They got whooped by Texas in week two. Didn't look any better the week after against USF. It's just a insane, insane job by Saban to somehow just make an offensive line work, just to suddenly make it work and be really good, and then suddenly make a defense be insane and just suddenly make everything just click. It's been an incredible, incredible turnaround and huge, huge props to Alabama and that coaching staff. Josh, it wasn't Nick Saban that turned that offense around. It was Tommy Reese. Yeah. Everyone needs to give Tommy Reese the full respect because he figured out the offense probably after that Ole Miss A&M game where he played into Miller's strengths of you're just going to run the ball and when we throw it, we're going to throw deep and give you easy reads. We're not going to make you read the field. You're not going to throw these quick outs. You're not going to throw these crossers, these touch passes. You're just going to bomb it out. And it it fucking worked. <laughs> and they moved the pocket a lot where you're not going to give Milrow the opportunity to be sacked in the pocket. You're going to scramble him out, get him out wide where he has the athleticism, the beaten edge. He's has the ability to spin back out of the pocket like Tommy Reese is probably going to be a head coach within a year or two, which is wild to say because it wasn't. It was less than a year ago that Notre Dame fans thought he was a he was the issue with their offense. Turns out it's just the athletes. <laughs> um, yeah, but it is a fantastic job and maybe one of Saban's best coaching jobs of turning a team around. And I, I, one of my most seen clips across all of social media this week, I think, kind of sums up the the committees possible pre-selection of Alabama as well and it's that crazy Alabama fan who just screams I don't give a piss about knowing but the tide <laughs> that's something they say down there it's uh it's an interesting uh interesting <laughs> did you see college game day fans. this week as well you may not have seen it if she was out in Vegas but oh yeah college game day was fantastic and uh no Pat McAfee had a great bit where he really riled up all the Georgia fans and had them singing their chant and then picked Bama it was uh it was a good show this week and shout out Theo Vaughn as well that man's hysterical <laughs> that that guy he he knows ball. Um, that was the only moment I've enjoyed Pat McAfee <laughs> this entire game day. Like he sucks, he's terrible for game day, but that was funny. Um, also, like I, I don't think that was that good of a game day because they're doing it at a convention center. It's it was the James Madison one or the Washington one were infinitely times better, but that's just my opinion. Um, any final thoughts on the SEC championship? Don't think so. Interested to see what happens in the playoffs now, though, and interested to see if FSU even turn up for this bowl game, uh, or if Georgia turn up for this bowl game, because they yeah. might feel a bit defeated now. They might be, uh, you know, the, the head coach is shouting about, you know, the team will be up for it, but, meh, will they? They wanted to play for the big one this year, and now they're just in a in a, in a little bowl game. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see with this one. FSU have every chance of beating them, even with the second stringer in. It's like, I, yeah, this game might just be a bunch of guys opting out and just bunch of backups playing mm -hmm. like, I, I can't imagine Brock Bowers is playing this game I can't no, imagine none of the Georgia first rounders for... should play in this game none of them even if no. like the third, second and third rounders probably shouldn't play in this game and I'd be shocked if guys like Verse for Florida State or Keon Coleman or even Trey Benson are playing for Florida State because why does it matter <laughs> No, but I was kind of so sad. I was somewhat surprised, but also not surprised that uh, Bo Nix is playing in the bowl game, and kind of not surprised because that man I'm just not. loves to play. That man just was on now his sixtieth game. 
this uh the Fiesta Bowl will be his 61st game. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm not surprised just because one the kind of guy he is, two the kind of coach Dan Lane is, and three he's never won a major bowl game. Okay, so he wants like, to get one. Yeah, yeah, he wants to finish out strong against uh, school. We'll talk about later. Um, over to the Big Ten championship. Um, the most predictable result, right? Like this, everybody saw this one coming. Yeah, I think so. I I was kind of talking to myself, and I was like, I was kind of surprised Iowa didn't at least manage three. And then I checked myself and said, what part of this Iowa offense has led me to believe they could even get three against Michigan? <laughs> yeah, 26-0 feels like the exact result that we expected here. Uh, Blake Corum, 52 yards and two scores. McCarthy threw the ball for 147, but didn't really need to actually move the ball too much. Yeah, this was a, a classic classic Iowa performance and a, and a professional Michigan performance to beat them down. I thought Michigan might have scored a few more, but it is actually a good Iowa defense, to be fair. You know, they are actually a legit defense. Um, I do want to mention there was a bar, so I think somewhere in Iowa, that was serving drinks until Iowa scored all the game ends. <laughs> and there it must have been some a bar. It was a country club. Oh, it was a golf course. There must have been some blacked out Josh, golf. That would have been my heaven. Watching Iowa get destroyed by Michigan in, in a in a free bar. Apparently, they're doing it again for uh, for um, bowl the bowl version of this one. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, the they're playing in I think it's Music City Bowl against Tennessee, which that's going to be a preview and a half for us. Um, yeah, credit to Iowa's defense. They did come out a little strong. Um, they were able to hold Michigan to a field goal. And Michigan's first touchdown set up by a great punt return. I think it was Roman Wilson. Uh, kind of shout out the Iowa defender, but also not shout him out. He was the gunner. Like, he missed the tackle. That would have pinned him deep within, like, the 10-yard line. Uh, Wilson's able to break contain, sprints down the sideline. But that guy that missed the tackle runs the length of the field and tracks him down and pushes him out at like the five yard line, ten yard line. It's a great effort, but make the tackle <laughs> and you won't have to push him out of bounds. Like yeah. he had him. Yeah. He just whiffed on the tackle. Which it's uh whatever for whatever for Iowa. Yeah. Um may, maybe Iowa kind of could have got a field goal on this, but then again the Vegas odds were um over under half a point oh. for each half. <laughs> And the under the under hit once again. The under in this game, the game total under hit. Um, yeah, I feel like Michigan just coasted after that first half. Once they yeah. scored ten, there's like, yeah, we know. Well, they just went to field we're goals. You know, they scored two touchdowns and then kicked four field goals. Yeah, yeah. It just had had absolutely no need to really do much else because they knew Iowa weren't going to score, especially on that Michigan defense. Because Iowa might have a good defense, but Michigan have a damn good defense. And it's not hard to look damn great against this no. Iowa offense. <laughs> um, and, you know, this was Jim Harbaugh's first game back. Uh, no rust on the clipboard for him. I think he called a great game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, <laughs> this story from that weekend, I was watching this game from the Oyo Hotel in Vegas. Anybody knows what that is? It's the old Hooters Hotel <laughs> and Casino. Um, and what I can only consider was, like, the biggest group of I don't give a fuck dealers that basically let us win money um and we were just watching the game drinking <laughs> hanging out with the dealer that said oh I'm high right now like this is fine I'm just like oh cool and the pit boss come by is like oh I got so much money on this game like interesting <laughs> interesting shout out the yo-yo shout out the yo-yo I will be back um that's where I watch this game Josh 
I didn't watch it in uh, as adventurous as a place. So I was just at home, but that <laughs> sounds like you you had the better the better spot for that one. Yeah, better or worse, <laughs> um, I don't think we need to stick on this game too much longer. Going to our final uh, Power Five matchup and an unfortunate one. It's Florida State sixteen, Louisville six, and by the score, you're probably thinking, oh, you know, Florida State's offense was ass. Florida State played terrible. Like, one is a driving rainstorm. And Florida State's game plan in this was just don't turn the ball over. And that's exactly what they did. They just managed to do enough on offense, which is all you could ask for. And their defense turned the fuck up against a great rush attack for Louisville. They held Plummer to, like, 110 yards. They held um, Jordan to, like, 40 yards rushing, like... The defense just absolutely came to play. And they had to. Right? They had to with the third stringer out there. They knew they weren't going to be that hot on offense, especially with the rain that was coming down. This was a severe storm. And yeah, this defense came to play. And again, you know, I don't want to keep going back to the, to the to the selection stuff, but this defense is so, so good that it just doesn't matter that the QB's not there right now. Like, the second string would have been more than good enough. Yeah, this defense was was absolutely fantastic in this one. They shut down anything Louisville tried to run, shut down anything Louisville tried to throw, and limited them to six points. And this is a this is a really good Louisville offense, an offense that we've raved about for, for big portions of this year. Um yeah, shout out uh, Florida State who just who just keep winning, like the next team that we'll speak about. <laughs> yeah. First time Louisville's held touchdown list the entire year. Jared Verse with a great game, two touch or two sacks. I think he had a forced fumble um on Plummer, like team total seven sacks like they just got after the quarterback they made him uncomfortable they shut down the run game um and then when kind of play of the game for Florida State's offense is um the Wildcat he's skip, escaping my name right now but just takes a direct stab and just goes up the sideline and like that's all they really needed because they were able to score on that drive um yeah man like sucks for Florida State Um, and you had Norvell come out after this saying like hey we did our job he, I think he was expecting his team to get put in I think all his players were expected to get put in uh, but it's just it's just unfortunate and when I was watching this the ESPN broadcast was so asinine where they were literally just talking about they weren't even talking about the game they were talking about Alabama and Georgia like oh who, should Alabama or Georgia get in they weren't talking about the game that was being played on the field, which I think is just so disrespectful to both these teams. They're like, you're the commentators. Talk about the game. Don't talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. Like, there's, there's a good Especially game. Especially the team going. they're watching should be there. Yes. How do, you, how do you say, how about these other two? Should they be there? No. The team you're watching should be no. there. Absolutely awful. <clears throat> um,. Do you have any any more thoughts on this game? I don't think so. You know, just a, a severe kind of weather washout of this one and, and shout out Florida State. You know, they, they managed to just keep winning and, and apparently that's a criteria for some teams to get into some big games, but not for others. Kind of a, a tough way for Louisville to end their season. Um, they start off so hot, they climbed to, I think, as high as 9 or 10 in the rankings. Had that big marquee wing against Notre Dame, lost to Pitt. And they just kind of coasted to end the season. They escape from Virginia, they escape from Miami, lose to uh, Kentucky in the rivalry, and then get shut out on offense by Florida State. Like, that's a kind of a sour ending to what was a really, really good first year with that Jeff Brom squad. Yeah, they nearly lost that Miami game as well. 
was really, mm-hmm. really was a scrappy they one. Nearly lost, nearly lost that Virginia. <laughs> nearly lose that Virginia game. Yeah, it was a a scrappy end for Louisville, but yeah, hopefully they can come back strong. They play USC in the Holiday Bowl, so we'll see what happens there. Although I imagine there's a no Caleb in that USC game. <laughs> he he already said he's not yeah, going. Makes sense. And I'm actually shocked that they chose Louisville to go to that game and not Clemson. <clears throat> I'm actually very shocked about that one. But again, we'll get into our bowl spectacular previews later. Um, let's finish off the rest of the conference championship. I'm just going to go through them. Uh, Liberty, they beat New Mexico State 49-35 on Friday. Liberty finishes their undefeated season, and they get to be the highest-ranked group of five team, which is interesting. Miami, Ohio, they beat Toledo 23-14. At one point, this game was like 8-6 at halftime. And it was awesome. It was pure defense. And they're just punching each other, punching around, running the ball. It was great. Uh, shout out to Miami, Ohio. They win the MAC. I think, first time back-to-back champ. I can't remember if they won last year. I think they did. Um, yeah, they Chuck Martin, one of the sneaky, underrated coaches in all America. He's been there for like 10 years. And it's taking them back-to-back 10-win seasons. Um uh, Good for good for the Red Hawks. Boise State, I think in one of the coaching performances of the year, uh, they fired their head coach like week nine when they were kind of dead in the water of the Mountain West. And then a couple of games went their way and they found themselves in a matchup against UNLV. And they beat the crap out of UNLV. They won 44-26. to They first seen to my knowledge to win the conference with the fired head coach I can't think that's ever happened before um yeah a great finish for the Broncos to win the Mountain West and what everyone perceived the them to be done that dynasty over like nope the Bronco dynasty is kicking they just hired the interim to be full-time which is the right decision to make and then over to the American SMU they had a huge upset Without their starting quarterback, they're able to beat Tulane 26-14. They win the American, knocking off defending champs Tulane. Um, we'll get into it a little bit. And then finally, Troy, they are able to beat App State 49-23. Uh, and Josh, did you see the all-time like get-back coach moment where Troy's head coach was just fired up? He's ready to like kill the refs and the get back coach just like dragging him back like, it was one of the most impressive get back efforts i've ever seen what was he trying to kill the refs for uh, just a missed call just a bad call <laughs> no i did not have to look that one up this is a really funny slate of games because kind of every single one that you mentioned was just one by the team that dominated in the rush game you know liberty absolutely ran all over new mexico state they ran for 393 393 yards uh, miami of ohio ran for 197 to toledo's 97 boise state ran for 301 to unlv's uh, 80 smu ran for 193 to tulane's 31 which is insanely low and troy ran for 271 versus app state's 108 just all of these games seem to be won on the ground and yeah with some some fantastic russian offense on show Shout out Ashton Genty from Boise State. He's been killing it all season. I think he finishes second or third in rushing this season behind uh, Schrader and Ollie Gordon. Although maybe with this extra game, he might have he might have cracked second or first. I'll have to double check after the show. Yeah, um, that was the conference championship weekend. It was it was all right. <laughs> I, I think it, there was really only two exciting games. Three exciting games in this one. 
some of the some of the later ones were fun early, and then they got out of hand. That Boise State UNLV game was fun for maybe the first kind of close to the first half, and then kind of get out of hand. That Miami Ohio game was fun as well, but yeah, it was uh, yeah that- the the top ones were definitely the the kind of better games here. The Washington Oregon and the the Alabama UGA game would have liked to have seen a bit more from Oklahoma State, but I think that just speaks to to how strong Texas are. Um, yeah, it was a it was a fun weekend, but it was. There's a there's a real sour taste in a lot of people's mouths after this after this uh, this news and this week of games. Again, which is a shame that there's going to be this cloud over the playoff because this is going to be one of the what should be more and more fun playoffs where you have the teams match up against each other have very similar but contrasting styles of play. You know, Alabama is a great rushing team and they have a quarterback that can make the big play versus. Michigan, who's a great running team, and they have two great running backs that can just dominate the game versus a great rushing defense. It's then you have the Texas and Washington, where you'll have tons of yards and Steve Sarkeesian coaching against his former team. And Texas and Washington played each other last year in the Alamo Bowl after they kind of both had surprisingly good seasons, and they hit the rematch again. Like it's yeah, it's just gonna suck because it Florida State should have had a chance. Um. Yeah, that's. I think that's it for our, our recap. Josh, want to talk Heisman? Let's talk Heisman. So the Heisman Trophy ceremony is going to be held this Saturday night in New York at Radio City Music Hall. Unfortunately, my uh, my ballot wasn't uh, cast, so I won't be in attendance. <laughs> um, no, I don't have a Heisman vote. Psych. Um, and after this championship weekend, it's clear who the winner is, and it's going to be Jane Daniels. And... He certainly was the best player on his team. Yeah, yeah. There's no way this goes to anyone else right now. This has to be has to be Daniel's award. I thought there was maybe a slim chance Bo got it if if they won because I think Bo's probably ahead of Penix. Penix won, which I think now puts him ahead of Bo, but doesn't put him ahead of Daniel's. Mm. Neither of them are ahead of no. Daniel's. And yeah, this is. I mean, he was absolutely sensational through the air on the ground. The guy was just. Absolutely electric. Was the best guy on his team. And well, you're just giving a big reaction. What's happened? We have breaking news. Uh, they just announced the finals for the Heisman. Uh, literally within the last uh, 20 minutes. So Good timing. Fresh what off we the got? presses. So attending the ceremony will be Jay and Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., and... Marvin Harrison Jr. will be in attendance. Oh, didn't expect Marvin Harrison so, to be there. I did not either because I thought Rome was better. <laughs> yes, he Rome is the better receiver in college this year. Hell, I'm gonna make a case for maybe Malik Neighbors should be there also. Um, yeah, good. At least he got the he got he got the invite. Yeah, this is. It, it depends on how the committee, the voters voted because ballots closed today. And what this is telling me is, like, everyone, I think it's just going to be literally one, Daniels, two, Knicks, three, Penix, four, Harrison. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right to me. It does sound about right to me. I was just looking through the stats as well. It's just insane that Jaden Daniels has thrown 40 touchdowns, four picks, and Knicks has also done 40 touchdowns and, and three turnovers. It's just insane, insane year for quarterback play for a couple of these guys. Did not expect Marvin Harrison to be there, though. That is, a, that is an interesting one. <sighs> I think that's based off name alone. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you've watched football this year, like you would know that Rome has 
I don't know. Rome's probably not going to be the better NFL player, but he certainly was the better college player this year. Um, and I think it's interesting that what the Heisman is, because I think it's the most deserving versus the most valuable versus the best player. And it kind of has turned into a quarterback award in the last 15 years. But with, with everything that happened with Florida State, how is Jordan Travis not the Heisman winner? Because he's clearly the most valuable player in the country if he's injured, preventing his team from going to the playoff. You know? Yeah, yeah, I can kind of, I can see the argument, you know, if he's, if, if that's kind of what their criteria is. I don't actually know what the official criteria is. I don't know if it, is it specifically to do with Be- best player, just best player, just best player. Yeah. yeah, it's a really, really tough one. Or most, most outstanding player in college football. That's what it is. Most, most outstanding. outstanding. It probably is Jaden Danielson. I should probably see outside of that for anyone else. But yeah. I understand the whole, you know, if 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 Travis is enough for them to get knocked out of the playoffs, then he probably is the most outstanding, most valuable. Yeah, and I, what Daniels is here is absolutely incredible. Without him, oh, this LSU team would be in the bin. With, this defense was so bad. Full, yeah, which is wild because last year the offense was bad and the defense was great. Um, yeah, they probably only have maybe four or five wins. Yeah. Uh, they certainly lose to Missouri. They certainly lose to Texas A&M. They certainly lose to um, LSU. They certainly lose... Or, excuse me, uh, they already lost to Florida State. Um, yeah, they, they would have been awful. However, there definitely was a stat padding <laughs> by Daniels <laughs> against Army, uh, Georgia State, and, like, uh, Mercer. Like, one-fourth of his touchdowns came in those three games. So, let's... Pump the brakes. Let's pump the brakes on an all-time performance. Yes, he was certainly the best player this year, and he certainly statistically had one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time. But pump the brakes, because you take away those four games, you take away, like, 14 of his passing touchdowns and three of his rushing touchdowns. I think I might have been able to get a couple passing and a rushing one against the Army, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely not an all-time one, but I do think he was probably... You can only beat what's in front of you, even if what's in front of you is, is hot garbage. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. It, it was a very, very good year for Daniels. And I am glad that the player that's not on the best... It's not going to be the best player on the best team award, like it has been for so many years. I think, shoot, the last time we had a player like this was Lamar Jackson, who was on a three-loss Louisville team when he was definitively the best player and won the award, or... RG3 on a three-loss Baylor team where he was definitively the best player on the field. And, yeah, that's good for Daniels. Um, I'm bummed that it won't be Bo Nix, but, you know, that's just personal bias. Um, Any final thoughts on the Heisman? Don't think so. Don't think so. I think it's definitely going to All Daniels. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, and I think Vegas kind of has the, um, the odds set that way. If Bo won... Honestly, probably would have been a fifty-fifty toss-up, but I would be shocked if anyone but Daniels won. To close out. We do have one game this week. And it's also on Saturday, Saturday evening, and it's the most probably historic game, most proud game, most traditional game. It's Army Navy. Both these teams are sitting at five and six. Uh, neither can win the Commander in Chief Trophy because Air Force won that back in like week eight, week nine. Uh, but bragging rights on the line. Army was able to win it last year. 
able to finish 500, which would be a huge accomplishment for either of these teams. Both kind of had a disappointing season. It's going to be a classic Army-Navy matchup where it's just going to be a lot of running the ball, uh, low scoring. The point total is sitting at 27.5 right now. Uh, and Army is currently a 2.5-point favorite. And this game is going to be played in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium. That's going to be awesome. But I think Army can win the Commander-in-Chief Bowl because they beat Air Force earlier in the year. But Air Force already beat Navy. Oh, shit. No, no, no. Ar Army beat Air Force. Air Force beat Navy. Oh. But Army are playing Navy. So if Army beat Navy and they've already beat Air Force, Army win the Commander-in-Chief. I'm sorry. I'm stupid. You're <laughs> I do not respect the troops enough or watch the troops. I completely forgot that. Yeah, Army set Air Force down at Spiral. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, They Josh. were the first team that they um, lost to that then sent them in just that weird downward spiral from being ranked like at 17 to being one of the worst teams that we watched all year in the back end of the season. Yeah, don't don't listen to a word I just said in the last five minutes. Yeah, Army's got everything to play for in this one. They have a chance to, I think, 3P as Commander-in-Chief because they won it last year. They won it two years prior. Yeah, Army's got everything to play for here. Which is absolutely insane considering how Air Force started the season as well. They looked so, so good, so hot, and then Army beat them, and then it's just been Army ever since. So Army team's actually been playing some pretty decent football, put up good points against UAB, got... Uh, absolutely uh, destroyed. Oh, this is a Navy so got absolutely destroyed by SMU. I just don't think this Navy team's been any good. I think Army will have more than enough for them. Army's actually been playing some some decent football to to close the season out. And yeah, this is the is it the three peat the three peat for Army and the Commander in Chief. Um, let's see, who won it last year? Air Force did win it last year. Army won it in twenty one and twenty. And then Navy will last one in 2019. So, yeah, Army has a chance to do three in four years. That's good for Army. That's good going. Good for Army on that one. Um, Yeah, that Army's got everything to play for here. I am kind of excited to watch Navy because they've honestly overperformed this year. First-year head coach. They've abandoned a lot of their traditional flex bone and not as much option plays, a little more designed outside runs and a little more... Um, spreading out getting out of the traditional wishbone that you'll see army in just because the new rules present preventing cut blocks um i think it's gonna be really interesting to see what navy does because army still runs a little bit more of a traditional wishbone they haven't really fully moved on from it with um i'm blanking on the coach's name um it's bad of me i don't respect the troops enough <laughs> uh yeah i this is gonna be a great game i'm very excited for it i will definitely be hammered watching it because that's what I do every year for this Army Navy game. It's, it's fun. Yeah, I'm actually quite excited for this one. It's not one that I've I've paid too much close attention to, but with it being kind of the only game this weekend and the Commander in Chief up for grabs, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. And Army have actually played some decent football. You know, beat Air Force a couple of weeks ago, beat Holy Cross, put up 28 against Coastal Carolina. Holy Cross is an FCS team. No, I ignore that, Holy Cross, that's but not. The, the Coastal no. Carolina wins a good win. Coastal Carolina wins a decent win. Um, Navy. They also lost to UMass. So. It did lose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a service academy team. I can't you can't expect too much from and them. And they but. lost. They also lost Louisiana. Like Army's down. Their bads are very bad, but their their goods are they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. What is the Navy record right now? Is this a five five and six Army versus five and six. Uh, oh, it's five and six five versus and six. five and six. Okay. Yeah. So the winner goes five hundred. That's a fun little yes. extra one to play for as well. The winner goes yeah. five hundred. Doesn't have a losing record, and if Army get it, they get the commander in chief. However, because this game is played after the bowl selections, neither team are going to go to a bowl game. 
yeah, it's unlucky. It's unlucky. Uh, yeah, it, it sucks. Because, yeah, no, that's a tough one. That is a tough one, but... However, it does allow James Madison to go to a bowl game, so... Yes, so, yeah, there wasn't enough eligible teams, was there? So James Madison somehow getting, yeah. which is, to be fair, they probably deserve it more than any of these two service academy teams do. Because of... It, this is going to be lost on you, Josh. Um, because the military um, performs late, James Madison gets a win. That's a, you know, eighteen twelve joke for you right there. <laughs> Shout out um, our fourth president. Uh, yeah, Army Navy is always going to be a fun one. Uh, low scoring, classic football, just beating the hell out of each other. Then there's also just tons of respect between these two teams because um, they are our future submarine captains and our drone pilots and our generals. It's it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, any last thoughts, Josh? Don't think so. Don't think so. Uh, I guess one kind of more for the viewers and, and more for me because I haven't actually spoke to you about this one yet either. What's the plan for the shows <laughs> next week? What we got coming up? We've got bowl yes, games coming so, up. We've got previews and stuff to do. Yeah, so this is going to be our only show for the week uh, because... Where there's only one game to preview. The first bowl game is on the sixteenth, I believe. Six, yes. Um, Myrtle Beach Bowl, which is next. Yeah, next Saturday. So what we're probably gonna do is break it up into chunks. Um, we'll probably break it up into maybe four, maybe three, where we'll preview like the first chunk of bowls from like the sixteenth all the way through maybe the 23rd like that week of games then we'll preview the ones from like the 23rd to the 30th Mm -hmm. then we'll preview the new year six saving the best for last as well as any other news that comes out like you know the heisen winner coaching changes portal movement uh award winners because the award shows are i think coming up at the end of uh december so yeah tons of fun bowl matchups uh, I was just reading today that like Notre Dame and Oregon State, they've already sold that game out within one day. And that <laughs> game's even played in El Paso, Texas. Um, yeah, Louisville, USC, AM, Oklahoma State, Kansas, UNLV. That's going to be like a ton of points. Super fun. Utah Northwestern is going to be like zero points in that one. James Madison Air Force. Like, that's going to be a good one. Iowa, Tennessee. That's going to be a lot of good ones. <laughs> I- wow, that's going to be a. <laughs> Yeah, um, Clemson, Kentucky. That'll be a good one. Arizona, Oklahoma. That'll be a fun one. Um, yeah, there's some great NC bowl State, games Kansas State. There's some great yeah. bowl games coming. Up. A lot of great bowl games, um, and then the New Year's Six and the playoff previews as well. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll do but, uh, not just an awards kind of recap show, but I'm sure we'll do our award show as well for the season. We have to get our uh, yeah our own personal our picks awards. out and. Who's going to win the... We have to do our playoff predictions as well. I think we'll have to do a, a little predictions and an award show. I think that could be a, a good little double. Yeah. Uh, Josh, your, uh, your Wyoming Cowboys, they're playing Toledo. So that's a, that'll be a good bowl game right there. The Peasley Dog Show continues. The Peasley Dog Show will continue. <laughs> but that's just going to about do it. Um, yeah. Again, one show this week. We'll have another one coming out next week. Uh, Josh, any last thoughts from you? Don't think so. Just what a fun season and what a... What a gut-wrenching way for them to end it for us, or, or kind of end the regular season for us. Just, uh, you know, there was some, some fantastic football play. We've seen some great stuff, and then you just got to feel for feel for some teams that get left out at this point. And it would have been a good year for the expanded playoffs to start. I'll tell you that 
would have been nice to see 12 in this one. And we'd have been arguing over who was 12 and 13, but it would have been easier than arguing about who should have been in at four. Well, it wouldn't be 12 and 13. It'd actually be 11 and 13 because 12 would have been the group of five team, which would have been fucking Liberty, man. Thank God they didn't do the expanded playoff this year. I Liberty should not be allowed in the playoff. And Josh, do you know the history around that school? No, not really. I'm going to tell you it off air. So then when we get into the Oregon Liberty Festival preview, you can understand where I'm going to be coming from. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. For Josh, I'm Tyler. Uh, again, check us out on the YouTube. We're posting there. Subscribe on the channel there. Subscribe on all your podcast feeds. Check us out on Patreon. Uh, follow along because we're just the best. And we like talking about football. That's it. That's it. What more can we say? <laughs> Take care. Take care.